0: You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. The church. Raise your hand if you've been a Christian for more than 10 years. That's a lot. Raise your hand if you've been in the church for more than 20 years. Wow. Anyone more than 30 years? Oh, wow. Several. I'll stop right there. To n- I'm not going to make anyone feel bad. <coughs> so I'm assuming everyone knows this song. And I'm going to need the singers to help me. And we're going to sing it together. It's going to be on the screen. Jesus loves me, this I know For To him below. they are weak. All right, let's do the chorus in English. Yes, Jesus loves me. All right, kids. Yes, Jesus loves me. Caleb, do you know it? Yes, Jesus loves me. Do you know it in Spanish? Do it in Spanish. Si Cristo me ama. Si Cristo me ama Si Cristo me ama La Biblia dice así Did you know it has two more verses? I did not know that. <laughs> and they're amazing. The f- the second one says Jesus loves me, he who died heaven's gate to open wide, he will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. And then the third one says Jesus loves me, this I know, as he loved so long ago, taking children on his knee, saying, let them come to me. Today, I'm going to talk about how much God loves us. And I've always struggled with this concept. And I've, in my years of experience as a pastor, I realized that a lot of people, a lot of us struggle with this concept. We know that God loves us because the Bible says that he loves us. But there's another layer of that same question. Does he like me? Is he happy with me? Sometimes we have the image of the father that uh, we know he loves us. But sometimes maybe he's like my father. And I've I've told you this several times. I struggle with this because my father, and some of you have met my dad, is very serious. And he doesn't really express his feelings, very Mexican of him. Um, So he's never told me he loves me. I know for sure he does. He's, he's demonstrated his love to me in so many ways. But he's never said it. He usually has like a straight face. And sometimes we think of God in that same way. Sometimes we see God as a God who loves us theologically, but sees us and treats us with disappointment or frustration. Or we see a God as someone who certainly loves us, and even saves us from eternal damnation by grace but he does all of this with a frown on his face or without much emotion involved think of it of uh, uh, like a, you know a parent of a rebellious teenager who got arrested for doing something foolish and the father shows up and because he loves his son bails him out But on the way back, the father is not talking to the son, and the father is angry at the son, and the son knows he loves him, but for the rest of the day, there's no communication. There's just disappointment and frustration on his face. I feel like some of us go through that process as well. We know he loves us. We know God provides for us. But we sometimes believe that God just puts up with us. Yeah, God loves me. Yeah, he saved me. He forgives me. But I don't think he's very pleased with me. I don't think he likes me. I don't think he smiles when he smiles when he sees me. And if we add another layer to this, it it makes it worse. Because in my experience as a pastor, Over half of the churches I've uh, planted and or pastored, the people in there have had a really bad experience with the image of a father. Some people in our churches not only have had bad experiences, but have experienced traumatic or even abusive parents or fathers. I'm talking about their biological parents. So the idea of our Heavenly Father loving us and liking us or being pleased with us, sometimes is hard to address. And this is what I want to talk to us today. I like for us to read what some people have called God's pinned tweet. Did I say that correctly? <laughs> I haven't been on social media for a long time. <laughs> but is it still a tweet since it's not longer Twitter? Is it an X? Whatever. Whatever. Others have called it the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, and it's one of the most repeated verses in the Bible, and it's the first time we find this text is in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. So I'm going to ask my son, Joel, to, to read it for us. Uh, I want to remind you when this is happening. When is God telling this to uh, Moses? Briefly. God uh, showed up at Mount Sinai in a cloud of fire. He told everyone of the Israelites not to even get close because they could get killed. Uh, Moses goes up to the mountain. God Himself writes in these tablets and these pieces of stone the law. And we spend—he uh, spends days just receiving God's law in the presence of the Almighty. The Israelites down there are bored. They're like, "Where is this guy?" They get—they—they they start like confusing or getting confused. They build this uh, golden calf Moses comes back down because he listens to some noise and God tells him go down because these people are going crazy he comes down there's a golden calf Moses gets angry breaks the tablets uh, bloodbath uh, happens and uh God is doing renewing a covenant with Moses because Moses intercedes for the people and He goes up to the mountain again. This time he carves the two tablets and he goes up to the mountain and God passes by him. And this is the word that God tells Moses. We would have expected Moses to receive a word of like, if you do this again, you're done. If you ever... If your people do this again, I'm going to kill them all. But instead, what God tells Moses is, as he passes, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So the first thing I want all of us to hear, including children, if you're listening to me, of course, number one, God is love, not anger and this is important for us to hear as especially if you if you come from a reformed tradition we love the topic of the wrath of god it is amazing uh, i don't think any other uh, faith or uh, i don't know theological tradition does such a good job in explaining the wrath of god and the holiness of god as a reformed church which is amazing But we sometimes believe that if we have a list of verses about God's wrath, punishment, uh, uh, righteousness, and all those things, and next to a, a list of God's mercy and faithfulness and love, are all the same. And the reality is that it is not the same. God's wrath is real, it is biblical, it is right, but it is not who God is. Anger and wrath are not who God is. If there is a defining characteristics of who a characteristic of who God is, is that He is love. First John four seven says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God." Say it with me, because God is. You didn't say it with me. The verses about God's love, compassion, mercy, grace, faithfulness, forgiveness, and salvation, by far outweigh and outnumber any other verses. God's love is by far the heavy emphasis of Scripture, the Bible, and Christianity. There is no comparison with any other topic in the entire Bible other than God's love. Anglican pastor and theologian Sam Berry says the following, God's anger is real, but it is not central. Love and wrath are not perfectly balanced on some divine fulcrum. God leans heavenly and unmistakably on one more than the other. It is his love that comes from the heart. And therein lies wonderfully, wonderful news And great comfort for his people. More than anything, God is love. More than anger, God is love. More than disappointment, God is love. More than frustration, God is love. More than anything else, God is slow. God is slow to anger, but fast to love. The verse did not say, God is slow to love and quick to anger. This might be our biological parents and confession time, that's me. He is not like the regular father. If you're listening to me and you have a bad experience with your parents, your parent or your father, or even if you have a great experience with your dad, I have good news for all of us. We have a God that is way better than any father that you can imagine. He is slow to anger. But the question still remains. Okay, he loves us, truly. That's all right. But does he enjoy me? Does he like me? Is he pleased with me? Does he smile when he sees me? And This is my second point. There was a time before Christ when God was actually angry at us. And he saw us that way. He was angry at us, but guess what? He still loved us. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, there was a time when God looked at you And he was angry. He was disappointed. He was sad. He was frustrated. In fact, the Bible says that he saw us as his enemies because, in fact, we were his enemies. We lived a life of doing what he hated the most, which is sin. We were enslaved by sin. But this is the crazy thing. He still loved us in that state. In that condition of enemies of God... God still loved us. When we were professional sinners, God still loved us. That's exactly what Paul tells the Roman church in in, in chapter 5 of Romans. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us and loved us when we cleaned ourselves, when we repented, and when we believed. He didn't love us until we we got our act together. He loved us while we were still sinners. And at that time, he was, in fact, angry at you. At that time, God looked at you with frustration and sadness because we were sons of disobedience. That's exactly what Ephesians 2 tells us. We were actually children of wrath. We were his enemies. Remember Ephesians 2? It says, And you were dead in the the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. That was us among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. God's wrath was upon us, like the rest of mankind. But praise be to God that this text does not end in verse 3. Ephesians 2 continues in verse 4 and says, But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice all of the emphasis on the love. He's rich in mercy, he has a great love for us. Verse 5 Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Even in that state, Jesus came to die for us out of the love of the Father for us. In the worst moment of our lives, when we were his enemies, when we were disobedient, at our stinkiest and ugliest moment, God saw us and loved us. Even then, Jesus came to love us with a great love. And that's why the Bible says in John 3.16, very rightly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So yes, there was a time when God saw you and was disappointed and was angry, and that was before Jesus. But my third point is that if you're a believer, because of Jesus, God not only loves you, he now is pleased with you, he likes you if god loved us in our worst state if god forgave us in the most ugly moment of our lives how much more does he love us now after his son jesus christ died for us because of the death and resurrection of jesus we are now loved even more by the Father because now we are being declared His children. We're no longer sons of disobedience. We are no longer children of wrath. We are now Children of God. We are His. We belong to Him. He doesn't see us the same way. He doesn't treat us the same way. He doesn't look at us the same way. He is now pleased with us because He gave His Son for us and now we are His children. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We are His dear children. We belong to Him. He has made us new. We are not the old person. We are a new creation in Christ. He smiles every time He sees you. He's pleased with you. He enjoys spending time with you. He embraces you because of Jesus. But also because we are His We belong to Him. And knowing that God is pleased with us, despite our sin, should bring us to joy and peace and comfort. This is the core of our faith, that we don't have to perform. The core of our message is that God knows that you fail Him every single day. The core of our message is that God is not Chewy, who's frustrated at his children every day and looks at them like, oh my gosh, when am I going to get a break? That's not God. That's me. And God sees me, and because of Jesus, he has mercy on me, and he loves me, and he sees me as clean, and he sees you as clean. And when he sees you, he he sees a beautiful person. He sees you as the final product. He is sanctifying you. He's working in you. You don't have to perform. You don't have to show that you are a good son. You are already a good son because of you? No, because of his son. And that's why Paul can tell the Romans, there is no condemnation. Listen to this. There is no condemnation for you for those who are in Christ Jesus we are secure we can just be literally like Hadley we can dance in the front of in the presence of our father and who cares what everybody thinks she's she's with daddy that's that's you and me you don't have to perform Christianity is not about you being moral. Yes, there are other religions that are way more moral than us. That's not us. We are failures without Jesus, but because of Jesus, we are children of the Most High. And when God sees you, He wants to hug you, and He wants to snuggle with you, and He wants to kiss you every day, all the time, despite your mistakes. God loves us. And we need to hear this often. And I'm going to ask you to please, this week, go back and read Romans 8, especially the last part. And then you realize, what are we going to say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who brings any charges to God's elect? God justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And at the end of that chapter, he says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to how many times Paul uses the word love. He doesn't use the word justification or propitiation or all the theological words, the theological works we love. He uses a very simple word that means he loves you nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to know that we are loved. I don't know how your dad was or how your dad is, whether you had a bad dad or a good dad you have access to the best dad ever and he doesn't need a mock to prove it we have truly 100% the best father in the universe and he loves us we need to think of this constantly We need to understand that He loves us deeply and that He's pleased with us. He is our Father in heaven who enjoys us and likes us and wants to be with us and spend time with us. He is a loving God for us. I don't believe we emphasize this enough. I struggle with this every single day. The reality is that every time I, I, I make a mistake or I sin, instead of coming to Jesus, I run from Jesus because I think that he's going to treat me like my dad treated me. I'm constantly just waiting for to be caught. I'm constantly just thinking like, oh no, what is going to happen to me now? Yes, I know he loves me. I know he's justifying me. I know the theological elements, but, but, but is he watching me? And I'm constantly thinking of this. And he says, I love you. I'm for you. And he wants me to come to him and give him a hug and confess my sin. And he'll say, it's all right. It's been paid. And if you are a believer, this is the good news of the gospel, that your father likes you and loves you. And that he gave his only son for you. He already did everything we needed to do. Jesus came into this earth. He became God incarnate to live the life that you and I could not live. That has already been paid. The life that you have, the fact that you're not a good parent or a good son or a good worker or a good citizen or a good brother or a good anything, husband, wife, whatever. All of those things that you can't do and you will never be able to do good, Jesus did it for you. That's already been paid. And that's why he came. And then he died, paying for all the sins you committed yesterday, that you're committing today, and you will commit in the future. He was hung on the cross and beaten down and bled because of those sins, and that has already been taken care of, taken care of as well. And the penalty of your sin, death, was defeated because that same Christ resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day, and he's now seated on the throne, interceding for us, and that is already also taken care of. So now you have eternal life, and you can enjoy the Father. If you're not a believer, that is also available for you. But if you decide to turn away from Jesus and do not respond to Jesus, surrendering to Jesus— as much as God is love, he's also a righteous God. And verse 7 says it. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity. God can forgive you. And transgression and sin. If you're a sinner, God can forgive you. He can, he can clean you. But if you reject him, if you, don't, if you don't walk towards him, he will by no means clear the guilty. And that is also true. Our message is that we don't want you to suffer. We don't want you to go to hell, to eternal damnation without the Father. You have the opportunity to turn your life to Jesus today. Repent from your sin. Turn to him, and he will embrace you. He will love you. He will make you new. This is all free. You don't have to do anything other than believe and repent that Jesus died for you, and he is your Lord and Savior. And he will, in fact, forgive you, of your sin and iniquity. But if you decide not to, then he will not spare, clear the guilty. So I'm asking everyone today, let's turn to Jesus. Let's repent from our sin and let's enjoy the love of our Father because his arms are wide open for us Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, his arms are wide open for all of us. And he will lavish us with his love because he's our good father. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Let's stand up and pray together. Dear Jesus, we, we love you. We thank you for for the love that you have given to us. Thank you because you are pleased with us. Thank you because when you see us, you smile. Thank you because when, when every time we fail, we can come to you and receive forgiveness of our sins. Thank you because we can confess our sins to you. Thank you because we don't have to perform anymore for you. You are already pleased through your son, Jesus with us. Lord, I pray that any condemnation that anyone is feeling today will be cast out. Any guilt that we are dealing with will be cast out and that all of that, God, will be filled with the peace and the comfort and the joy of knowing that you love us deeply. That you are a good God who is slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness. Thank you because you are faithful even when we are not faithful. Therefore, and make...